you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Romans. We're going to continue marching through the book of Romans. And today the passage I got uh, deals with circumcision. So lucky me. (laughs) And lucky you. But that's where we're going. So that's my warning. If you brought kids, they may giggle or ask questions. You're welcome. Uh, We're adults. We'll handle it. Also, I just want to apologize kind of on the front end if I preach a little ornery. We've been trying to detox my youngest off diapers, uh, and it was Shark Week all week on the Discovery Channel. So I'm I'm amped and ready to go. So uh, Romans, uh, we're going to start in chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put it up on the screen. If you don't own a Bible, listen up, because you take advantage of this. If you don't own a Bible, go over to the Commons, our bookstore, and we will give you a Bible. We want you to have the Word of God, okay? So take advantage of that. Have you ever heard the statement? Uh, you probably have, or maybe you've read it. It comes from the, the place in Scripture where Samuel's looking for the next king after Saul. And the statement basically is God doesn't look... At the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. And even if you've never read it, maybe you've heard somebody tell you that. That God doesn't look at the outward appearance, he looks at the heart. And I don't know how many people would find that comforting. Um, but that, that seems really invasive. It would be like saying, God doesn't look at your real life. Or God doesn't look at your Facebook. He looks at your real life. right? Because on Facebook, we can post how much we exercised and the devotional readings we had and the healthy food that we ate and all our pictures are kind of photoshopped and glamorized. It's like this is the, the person we want everybody to see, right? That's like the outward appearance. Here's, here's I can show up at the right places, I can wear the right things, I can look the right way. But what he's saying is God doesn't look at that. God looks at your heart. So if God's not looking at the outward appearance, he's, he's looking at our heart, there's nothing we can hide. We can't fake it. Like he sees everything. So he can really tell, well, who's with me and and who's not? Who's legit and who's just faking it? But you and I, we can't see the heart. We do see the outward appearance. So how how do we tell? What what does a real Christian look like? We used to live in Chicago, and the, the area that we lived in Chicago, if we went one direction, we'd be in this Jewish Orthodox neighborhood, And if we went the other direction, there was uh, a Muslim mosque or family center. So we could go out and we'd say, oh, there's there's a Muslim family. Or we'd go out the different direction and say, oh, there's some Jewish Orthodox people. They had the black with the curly sideburns, you know what I'm talking about? We could identify them, right? Now we live in Gilbert, Arizona. So we, we see kids on bikes with white shirts and a tie. We know. Mormons, right? We, we, we see them. I, I can identify them right away. But what does a Christian look like? Like an evangelical Christian, what, what do they look like? I was out a, a couple weeks ago with my kids running errands, and we were in a parking lot, and I saw a guy that I recognized. I said, oh, there's a redemption guy. And of course, my kids in the back seat poked their heads up to see what I'm looking at. <clears throat> and one of my kids says, do you mean the guy with all the tattoos? <laughs> this guy's like dismounting a Harley. I didn't know his name. Um, I was like, oh, redemption guy. It's like, do you, do you mean the guy with all the tattoos getting off this motorcycle? I mean, to them, it probably looks like a guy that eats children, right? <laughs> but <clears throat> I'm like, yeah, I know that. I don't know his name. I know. He goes to redemption. Long pause in the back seat. And I, gears are turning, so I'm just kind of waiting for some kind of theological response from my kids. And then one of them says, well, I guess you can't tell a Christian by the way somebody looks. Like, well, he gets it. Let's get ice cream, right? Let's, let's, let's go. You don't need a lot of excuses to get ice cream. Um, 
but what, what does a Christian look like? Like, how do, how do we tell? I mean, even there's, t- I mean, there's Christians that are Harley riders, and there's Christians that wear suit and ties, and there's Christians that wear skinny jeans and way too deep of V-necks, and there's, there's Christians that, uh, that, that wear bib overalls and work boots, and there's Christians in other countries that look m- more tribal stuff. And there's times even I'm like, I wish we had uniforms or a secret handshake or something, right? But we can't tell. How do you tell a real Christian? Well, when the people of God first got started out, God marked them physically. And we're going to get a little bit of background to this. I don't care if you're Christian or Muslim or Jewish. People look to Abraham and they say something between God and people started with this guy. What the Bible tells us is God came to Abraham and he's, he says, I'm going to work through you. My plan is going to unfold in this world starting with you. And at 99 years old, uh, God told Abraham, we're going to enter an everlasting covenant. And a couple weeks ago, Tim talked about this covenant where you're like cutting animals in half. And it was a real formal thing where they, they entered a covenant together. And God said, I'm going to be your God to you and to your offspring. And you're going to be my people. And God told Abraham, I'm going to make your name great, which happened, right? I'm going to make you into a nation, which happened. And through you, I'm going to bless every family of the earth. And here's the sign, Abraham, of this covenant. I want you to circumcise yourself. Long pause. <laughs> See, he's still a guy. I mean, I know we read in the Bible, it's like, you want me to what? I mean, the last sign of a covenant that God gave was a rainbow. So this is a big jump, right? <laughs> it's like, I want you to say, so Abraham, at 99 years old, circumcised himself. And every male born after that was circumcised on the eighth day. Every male foreigner that joined this group was circumcised, no, no matter how old they were. This was the sign of the covenant that said, I am of the family of God. Like no circumcision, not a part of the group. You want to be a part of the group? Get circumcised. To deny circumcision was basically to say, I don't want in on what God and Abraham got going. I mean, this marked a group of people. I mean, it wasn't wasn't like their uniform. It wasn't public. They didn't walk around naked like, oh, you must be Jewish. It wasn't that type of thing. It was a personal, private testimony to who I am. And you couldn't escape that. Like every day you put your pants on, you know, this is who I am. I cannot get away with, I have been called out, I've been chosen, I am of the family of God. I mean, can you imagine even a Jewish man trying to commit adultery? We don't actually imagine it, but, but even the act, he would be reminded, this is not who I am, this is not who I've been called to be. Today we can take off our wedding ring, but you can't uncircumcise yourself. This was a permanent marking of people. That you are a part of the family of God. It was a big deal. Now, I don't, I don't mean to be irreverent, but you've got to admit, this is a little weird. <laughs> I mean, it's just odd. God is requiring a permanent marking of the male private part. What? <laughs> it's like, you can imagine not a high conversion rate in the Old Testament. <laughs> what, what is he up to? I mean, really, why? why? Why would he do that? What is he saying? Well, one, if you're mine, I mark you, and it's permanent. We'll get into what that looks like for us. 
But, but here's, here's the big deal, the most important thing. The nature of the sign suggests that it was intended to focus attention on the importance of Abraham's offspring. God is marking the reproductive organ here because what, what is the big promise God made to Abraham and the Jewish people? Through you is coming the Messiah. Like, I'm going to bless the whole earth through you. So what I'm doing with you and your family is so much bigger than just you and your family. I'm, I'm, I'm using you. I'm working through you. I'm making a covenant with you. But what I'm doing through you reproductively is so much bigger than you. And who is the most famous relative of Abraham? Say it. More than three people. Yeah. Time out. If me or any other pastor ever asks you who somebody is and you don't know, just shout out Jesus. Okay? <laughs> oh, it's always a safe bet. So who, who is the most famous relative of Abraham? Jesus. Okay, you can say it. So fast forward to his day, right? And you got John the Baptist who's supposed to prepare the way for the Messiah. And he's out in the wilderness eating bugs and preaching to people. And people are coming out to him. And he's preaching to Jewish people to repent. And he's baptizing Jewish people. Kind of odd. But what he's saying is basically it doesn't matter if Abraham is your daddy or not. You need to repent and you need to return to the Messiah who is now here. And a lot of Jewish people were saying amen to that. It is about the heart. It's not about my, who, who, if I'm related to Abraham. It's about the heart. And they were repenting. But an issue came up when Gentiles started believing in this Jewish Messiah. I mean, wouldn't repentance of the foreigner include circumcision? Because if you're embracing our God and you're embracing our Messiah, once you kind of join our group, makes sense, right? And, and Paul addresses that question in our text. So Romans chapter 4 we're going to start in verse 9, but let me back up to verse 6. We'll get a running start. And just a side note, if you were not here last week, get online and watch that message, okay? Verse 6, we're going to get a running start. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteousness apart from works. So God is counting people righteous apart from their works. Basically, God is counting people Righteous who are not righteous. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sins. And here's the question. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or for also the uncircumcised? So God is blessing his people. He's, he's counting them righteous when they're not righteous, when their works would prove that they're not that way. He's giving them the standing of righteous anyways, and he's forgiving their sins. He's not counting their sins against them. So who's eligible for this blessing? Because I want in on that. Anybody else want in on that? Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Let's pray. You guys got it. It's Jesus. We'll, we'll get there. He beat me to it. But it's like, I want in on that blessing. So, so it's a legitimate question. Who, who are God's people that get this blessing of forgiveness? Who are God's people that, that get uh, righteousness given to them and, and, and get the blessing of forgiveness? And, and how do people, how does someone become one of God's people that get that blessing? Right? Legit question. Because for the past 2,000 years, circumcision declared that. If you do away with that, how are you going to mark God's people? 
And here's how the whole Gentile thing got started in Christianity. It wasn't Paul, it was Peter. In Acts chapter 10, there was a guy named Cornelius, a Gentile. And he was at home, and he had a vision of an angel saying, Peter, there's a guy named Peter in this town. Go and get him. He's got stuff to tell you. And wouldn't that be awesome if that's how evangelism worked today? Like your neighbor knocks on the door. I had a vision. God said you're supposed to tell me something. <laughs> Just kind of lays it out for you. But that's what happens. So Cornelius sends people to go get Peter. And why he does that, Peter is up on his roof praying, and he has a vision from God. And his vision is kind of weird. It's this white sheet coming down from heaven, and there's all kinds of animals on it and birds and reptiles. And God says, take, kill, and eat. It's my favorite verse in the Bible, right? <laughs> like you get a hunting license and a buffet in one verse. It's just like, <laughs> kill, eat. Praise God, right? So Abraham pushes back to that. It's like, no, 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 those are unclean animals. I don't, I don't participate in unclean things. And they kind of go back and forth, and, and, and who's going to win this argument? God. God's going to win this argument. And eventually God says, look, don't you call unclean the things I make clean. And Peter gets it, and the people knock at his door, and he takes them to Cornelius' house, and Peter shares the gospel with Cornelius. Cornelius believes, and Holy Spirit-type things start happening. And Peter's like, I guess, I guess Gentiles are in, right? I mean, I'm not going to get in God's way. It's happening. And then Paul's ministry comes along. He's going to Jewish people. He's going to the synagogues, and they're not liking his message, right? He's not too popular with them, and they're kicking him out of the synagogues. But the Gentiles are eating it up, like coming in crowds. And Paul's like, well, I guess God is doing a work among the Gentiles. But not everybody liked that. There was a group called the Judaizers. If you remember, we went through the book of Galatians, we addressed these people. But the Judaizers were a group of people that said yes to Jesus and the law, and after Paul would be at a place and he'd be preaching the gospel, he would leave and move on to another place. The Judaizers would come in and say, oh, was Paul here? Great. He's our opening act, right? You've got more to add to the story. Yes, Jesus, but you also need to be circumcised. Well, Paul hears about this and he is upset. And he addresses them in the book of Galatians. He's like, look, if you think being circumcised is going to make you spiritual, I hope you become super spiritual, right? Like keep cutting. And now... <laughs> I'll wait. Come on. Right? Because anytime one man calls for another man to be castrated, it's, it's escalated. So they have this council in, uh, in Jerusalem in Acts 15 where they all get together, right? And, and, and Peter is there and James is there and Paul and Barnabas are there and they're all sharing. This is what God is doing among the Gentiles. It's amazing. And this is the conclusion that they came up with. We're not going to put any other requirement on the Gentiles other than faith. But there needs to be discipleship. And so they, they run away. It's like, like, stay away from things, sacrifice to idols, watch out for sexual immorality. Let's, like, we're not leaving these people to themselves. We need to disciple them. But we're not going to put any other requirement on them other than faith. Because, listen, just because we're not saved by works doesn't mean works is not a part of Christianity. Amen? Paul's not against religious rituals. He's not against works. He's not against acts of obedience. In fact, in chapter 1 of Romans, he says, I'm here to bring about the obedience of faith. His argument is let's not get it out of order. I mean, let's keep it in its proper place. So let's, let's look at his argument. Verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? 
For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. So that's like something everybody's agreeing upon. We say that f- uh, righteousness was counted to Abraham um, because of his faith. Everybody's like, amen to that. Okay. How was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So you have in Genesis 12, God calling Abraham, leave your family. I'm going to do something with you. In Genesis 15, they make this covenant, right? In Genesis 17, he gets circumcised. Well, between Genesis 15 and 17, there's at least 14 years. So what, basically what he's saying is when Abraham was counted righteous by God, he was a Gentile. He hadn't been circumcised yet. So why would God do it that way? What, what is he saying? Let's keep reading. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them, to them as well. So it's going to work for Gentiles the same way it worked for Father Abraham. They believe based on faith. They're given righteousness because of their faith as a gift. They don't have to be circumcised in order to be righteous. Then it wouldn't be a gift. It's a gift, and they get the gift the same way Abraham got the gift. Let's keep reading verse 12. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that Father Abraham had before he was circumcised. So here's what he's saying. Abraham is the father of those who, are, who just have faith. They're not circumcised. They're not Jewish. And he's the father of those who are circumcised and are Jewish and have faith in Jesus. But the connection is faith. The common denominator is faith. What puts you in the family of God is not circumcision, it's faith. So what Paul is saying to two groups of people that have essentially been completely separated for generations and generations and generations, he's saying, guess what? You're related. And you're related based on your faith that puts you in the same family. Now, it's, it's one thing to say Gentiles can be saved. It's a completely other thing to put them on the same level as Jewish people. I mean, Paul's saying they are full heirs, sons of Abraham, and they don't have to become Jewish to claim that. Can you kind of feel how maybe that might be hard for a Jewish person to grasp? Let's, let's put it this way. <clears throat> let's say there's two families, the Smiths and the Joneses. I'm just making them up, okay? So there's no real families. And the Smiths are... Really nice family, well-educated, fairly wealthy, um, affluent. I mean, they're the type of family, they don't watch TV at night. They play board games and read, right? Nobody has braces. I mean, they're just put together, right? <laughs> and then the Joneses, they're, um, they're the opposite of that. Like, they're always getting in trouble. They're always throwing wild parties at their house. They're always in the paper for the wrong reasons. They have no respect for the law. Right? They, don't, they don't behave themselves. They're just kind of trash, at least in the Smith's eyes they are. And the Smiths have a cabin in Pine Top, a beautiful cabin, like A-frame, big windows. I mean, there's a rec room. There's, there's four-wheelers, pool table. It's a beautiful place. And great, 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 great Grandma Smith built this cabin. She was a handy lady, right? <laughs> 
Uh, so she built this cabin, and, and the Smiths have been enjoying this cabin for generations. Everybody in their family honeymoons at this cabin when they get married. They have family reunions at this cabin. There's pictures of all their families on the wall. They do Christmas together at this cabin. And in great, 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 great Grandma Smith's will, she wrote, I want all of my family, all of my relatives to enjoy this cabin. Well, recently, it became known that great, 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 great Grandma Smith's maiden name was guess what? How do you think the Smiths feel about that? Right? They're, they're going to wreck it. They're going to come up there and ruin it. They don't know how we operate. They don't know our rules. They don't know our way of life. They're going to get up there and, and mess everything up. And the Smiths aren't unreasonable people. Any Jones can use the cabin as long as they marry a Smith and we domesticate them. Right? <laughs> you, can, you might be able to identify with the tension. Or let's maybe connect it to this room in more of a ridiculous way. Let's say for generations, years at this church to become a member of Redemption Church, um, you got a tattoo, big Redemption R, right on your shoulder. The older you got, it looked more like a P, but it started out <laughs> as an R, right? <clears throat> and we did that for years and years and years and years. It's just how it's done. And then all of a sudden, the leadership says, you know what? We're not going to make that a requirement for, for membership anymore. You would have some people that are upset. It's not a big surprise that group this size, somebody's upset about something all the time, right? But, but there would be a group of people that would say, what do you mean we're not going to do that? We've always done that. I did that. My dad did that. My kids have done that. We've all had to do that. We can't stop doing that. And then here's what else would happen. Elitism would creep into this church where the people with the tattoos would feel like they're better than the people without the tattoos. We're, we're more legit. Like, like we're, we're upper class members, you're lower class members. Right? We're, we're better than you. And there would even be a group of people in here that would probably form going around telling people, you know what, you're not really a member unless you get this tattoo. Like you'd make it a requirement. I mean, you, you're, you're taking, that's essentially what's, what's happening. You're, you're taking away the initiation process. I mean, this is how people became part of the family of God. And we all have our own initiation processes um, that we impose on ourselves or others, right? Like, God won't really accept me until I master that sin I struggle with. Or I won't really belong until I learn more Bible better. And, and all good things, right? Learn your Bible. Fight your sin. The problem is when those things become a prerequisite to God's favor. Like, I need to do that in order to get that. It's like, we, we believe in, in forgiveness, um, and, and we know we need it. We just tend to think that we need to qualify for it. Like, it's ridiculous to think I can earn myself. I can't do that. But if I, if I can, I need to qualify for that blessing that God's giving out. I need to show that I'm worthy for it. Like, think of it like going to college. Like, if you thought the only way I'm going to ever be able to go to college is if I get a scholarship. Like, I can't do that on my own. I need a scholarship, but I need to show that I'm worthy of it. So I need to write essays, and I need good, good grades, and I need to perform in this way. I need to volunteer. I need to show that I'm worthy. Like, I, I could never earn my salvation. Like, that's silly. We often find ourselves trying to earn God's grace, like show that we're worthy for that. God's grace is a gift. There's nothing you can do to earn it. 
And it's an amazing gift because it's an amazing God. It's silly to think that the things that we do earn us God's favor. What they were doing is they were taking different pieces of the good news of of salvation and forgiveness and becoming a child of God. And they were getting the different elements out on the table and they were mixing them up and they were getting them out of order. They were saying, they were trying to put works before acceptance from God. It's like if you really want to be accepted by God, then you need to become circumcised. Then you qualify for the forgiveness that God's given out. But Paul says, no, it's by faith. It's by faith. Works does not come before acceptance by God. Works does not come before being declared righteous by God. Works does not come before belonging in the family of God. Works is a part of the equation, but it becomes after that. The order matters. If you put works first, then it's either going to lead you to pride or despair. And here's what I mean by that. If you put works first in order to be accepted by God, let's say you think if if God's really going to like me, then I need to have good attendance at church and I need to get up and read my Bible every day and I need to serve in a place and I need to care for the poor. If I do those things, then then God's going to accept me. If those are the works you put before yourselves, let's say you actually accomplish that in your mind. Like I, I have good attendance. I volunteer somewhere, you know, I read my Bible every day, I'm one of those people, and I volunteer in a soup kitchen, here's where you start to to go wrong. You start to think, you know what, it kind of makes sense for God to like me. I mean, I kind of qualify, right? And then let's say you set up works for yourself, and you don't measure, it's like, I I don't get to church very often, you know, I'm... I don't read my Bible. I don't volunteer anywhere. Those kind of things. You start to feel like, how could God ever love somebody like me? I don't qualify. To get this out of order, listen to this, to get this out of order is to not get it at all. Moses, my, my oldest son is into Legos. And you guys have kids into Legos? Oh, <laughs> you're saying my kid's a nerd? What? <laughs> He likes Legos, right? So he's into Legos, and um, it used to be when I was a kid, they would, you would just get Legos in like a bucket. It's like, make something, right? Use your imagination. Now they come in kits. We've got to like build the Millennium Falcon. I feel like I need to be an engineer to put this together. It's stressful, okay? I'll just leave it at that. And if you, well, you get these things, if you don't put them together in the right order, it doesn't look like it's supposed to look like. And for some of you, Christianity isn't looking like or feeling like it's supposed to look like. Because you're getting it out of order. And you're putting works before acceptance. So all of your works are about earning God's love, which is completely different than works that come out of responding to God's love. Are you tracking with that? If you get this out of order, you you mess it all up. You don't get it at all. And it's a fight mentally for us to keep it in order because we default to thinking, I need to do this and this and this in order for God to like me. And if I don't, then God won't accept me. But listen, God does not accept you based on things you do or don't do. God accepts you based on what Jesus has done. So when you blow it and you feel like, how could God ever love me? Your performance has never been a reason why God liked you in the first place. In the next chapter, 5 verse 8, Paul tells God demonstrates his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's like when we were at our worst, God's love intervened. 
So for Abraham, it wasn't, hey, get circumcised and then this thing will be real. Get circumcised and then we'll enter a covenant. Get circumcised and then I'll declare you righteous. No, he already entered a covenant. He was already declared righteous. Because it was real, circumcision got introduced. Because that's the point of circumcision. Look at verse 11 again. Here's what he says. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. It's a sign and it's a seal. A sign points to something. A seal authenticates it. So let's apply this quickly to the older brother and to the younger brother. And here's what I mean by this. We're going to apply this to the older brother is like the person who's got the church thing down. Right? They come every week. They, they, they give. They serve. They're in community. They, they have their own Bible with their name on it. I mean, they, they got it down. Right? The younger brother is the person who is kind of shoddy in church attendance. You don't give. You don't serve. You're not plugged in. You're not involved. And nobody at work would guess you're a believer. Okay, those, those two groups of people, let's, let's apply that there. Older brothers, here's what we need to hear. Don't turn signs of salvation into ways of salvation. You get that? Don't turn signs of salvation into ways of salvation. Like baptism is a sign of salvation. God's doing something in your heart. You understand it. You want to come up front and get dunked in water to declare what Christ has done in you. That's a sign that God has done something in you. But baptism doesn't save you. Right? Giving. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. You meet a generous person with their resources and with their time, and they have an eternal perspective. That's a sign. Like God has done something in that person's heart. they, they got a get-it factor that's kind of <laughs> dialed in, right? But giving doesn't save you. Participating in communion. Kind of a sign that you get it. Like, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus is that Savior. His sacrifice is sufficient for me. But taking communion doesn't save you. Morality, having a moral compass of right and wrong and, and seeing conviction and integrity is a sign that maybe God has done something in your life and in your heart, but morality doesn't save you, right? And th- there's people in this room that you got signs. You got a lot of signs you can point to. But the tendency is to turn our signs into other people's requirements, right? Like people aren't legit until they know what I know and don't struggle with what I don't struggle with, right? We, we start to embrace salvation through looking more like me. But signs didn't come first for you. Don't turn signs of salvation into ways of salvation. But there are signs. So younger brothers, let's turn this on ourselves. What signs do you point to that you're really a Christian? I mean, do you have signs that would indicate that it's true? Now that circumcision is no longer a requirement, what authenticates you? And not that circumcision ever authenticated people. I mean, hopefully this doesn't surprise you, but God was never after people's foreskins. He was after their heart. Let me just read a handful of verses that bring this out. Jeremiah 4.4 4 says, Circumcise yourself to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Least my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of your evil deeds. Okay, that's not a verse you find on too many refrigerators. <laughs> but what he's saying is basically he's connecting the idea of circumcision. It's about the heart, right? Deuteronomy 36 says, And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that, and here's what it looks like then, so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. It's about the heart. 
Then we get in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. It says this. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal. We get that word again. Seal on us and has given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. This is the seal. God puts his spirit in you. When you believe, God puts his spirit inside of you. And then here's sign. Here's the sign that that's happened. Philippians 3, 2 through 3. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's talking about the Judaizers. For we are the circumcision. This is what he means. He says, who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. It's about your heart. And then you get in Galatians and you get the fruit of the Spirit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. It's like there's evidence. These are signs of the Spirit in your life. So younger brother, does God have your heart? I mean, I know the things of this world are attractive and you want to drive a certain car and live in a certain house and marry a certain type of person and have a certain type of reputation and make a certain amount of money to have the, what the world allures you to. But has the Holy Spirit shown you in your heart that God is better than all that? Do you want to know what a Christian looks like? Do you want to know what it means to really be the circumcised? Your heart loves Jesus. You worship God. See, God not only saves you, he authenticates you. When he puts his spirit in you and turns our hearts to Jesus and makes much of Jesus in our hearts, So when God looks at the heart, which he does, he sees the spirit at work in you. It's faith alone, but if faith were a sickness, you would have symptoms. You would be able to diagnose it. Like, I don't know what's happening to me. I used to sin and love it. Now I sin and hate it, and I fight it. And I've never been a singer, but at worship, I find myself singing. I've never been a reader, but I'm just eating up the Bible. And I have joy that's not based on my circumstances. Like, what's happened to me? I know God has put his spirit in you. There's a, there's a change from the inward out. So here's the question for all of us. Has that happened to you? What does your heart say about Jesus? Is he a treasure to you? Do you love him? Do you live your life to please him? Do you worship him? I pray that you do. And if that hasn't happened to you yet, I pray that it will. Because salvation is a gift from God And we all need it. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, it is simply amazing what you do in the hearts of people. And this is a room full of people you love. So I pray that your spirit is active. And that you would make much of Jesus in our hearts. That we would be a church that is known for our love of your son. I pray this in your name. Amen.